Hey listeners, Chloe here. If you need to stay as up-to-date with the latest developments and innovations in the luxury industry as I do, you need to dive into Vogue Business. It's your ticket to a global perspective on fashion and beauty, delivering exclusive insights that will give you the edge in this competitive, dynamic industry. Just visit VogueBusiness.com today and use the code RUN20 at checkout to join the Vogue Business community. That's VogueBusiness.com, promo code RUN20. Don't miss out. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. This podcast is supported by Macy's. Whether packing for a destination vacation or planning a backyard staycation, Macy's has what you need this summer. Shop the easiest and breeziest brands like Nina Parker, Vince Camuto, and Dolce Vita. Macy's has all your must-have items from sundresses to matching sets to wedges, beach bags and towels, you name it. Stock up for summer at Macy's. Shop at Macy's.com slash own your style today. That's Macy's.com slash own your style. This is The Run Through. I'm Chloe Mal, and we are ending our amazing series highlighting the women designers we love on a high note. We have Rachel Scott of the brand Diotima on the show today. She spoke to Naomi Elize, market editor here at Vogue. It is just me and Naomi in the studio today while Choma is jetting off London to Milan for the start of Milan Fashion Week. And Naomi, I'm so excited to be here. And I'm so excited to talk about this interview because I listened to it on the subway this morning and I just loved it. There's something so warm and soothing about Rachel and I find her really an inspiring businesswoman and creative person. Oh, well, I'm so thrilled to hear that. She is such a gem and truly it feels like you're just talking to your good friend of yeah. so many years. So you were sort of the den mom for the CVFF finalists, which for people who don't recall, there are 10 finalists, emerging American designers, and Naomi was instrumental in really shepherding them through the process. And I think you became quite close with Rachel throughout that process. How did that friendship sort of come together? You know, I had a bit of a a friendship with her before, but it wasn't as close as it is now, definitely because it was, you know, five to six months of constant communication with all the designers. (laughs) I I felt like I was also stalking them half the time, (laughs) but it it was a beautiful friendship that blossomed throughout the program. We keep calling this series Women Whose Clothes We Want to Wear. And I do really feel like Rachel's clothes are the dresses that you absolutely would love to wear for a really special evening or any kind of any moment that's there's something so sensual about them but also personal and special you were describing wearing it like you wore her crystal embellished crochet dress and that it was you felt sexy but the sexiness was for yourself yeah and I think that really embodies what she's doing I mean immediately when I put on that crystal embellished crochet dress I felt like I could just like conquer the world and I felt my most confident and even though like I'm basically naked (laughs) I'm still covered up you know (laughs) 
And I could go out and enjoy my birthday party without feeling too exposed. I want you to tell us the big milestones that Rachel had this year, because I have to say, I attended the CFDA Awards, and I feel like every year at the CFDA Award, there's, like, one designer who everyone's wearing. You, like, can spot different versions of someone's runway collection on a lot of different guests. And for me, this year, that was Rachel. Like, you saw those beautiful crochet dresses on a handful of different mm-hmm. women, and they all looked so different on everyone and so special on everyone. She had a big big year. You know, she was the runner-up for the CFDA, and then she was also a finalist for the LVMH Prize last year and won the American Emerging Designer Award at the um, CFDA Awards. And so the first thing I had spoke to Rachel about was how winning the runner-up prize for the CFDA impacted her brand. One major thing came out of winning the runner-up prize, which was, like, kind of what I went into it, hoping I would be able to get there, was to get a studio. Yes. Which is, like, to explain how major that is, is nearly impossible. I launched a brand three years ago, and the entire time I had it in, like, my apartment. I don't even want to call it my apartment because it was a (laughs) studio with a bed. And everything was on top of each other. Wow. Um, And it was initially in Crown Heights. Then I got kicked out of my space because I was running my business there. How did they find out? Because of the hundreds and hundreds of boxes (laughs) and messengers. (laughs) (laughs) And the time, like, a FedEx with 10 cartons got stolen and the police came to run a report. Yes, all of that happened. And then it moved to Bed-Stuy, which is where I'm living right now. And... You know, carrying inventory up three flights of stairs in a brownstone and trying to hold appointments, you know, it's just not it's not, not conducive to efficiency. So as soon as the runner-up prize was announced, I had a place in mind because I had actually looked into it when I was in the LVMH prize finals. And I was like, well, if I win this, I'm going to get to studio. And I didn't win. But I had already found a place. And as soon as that happened, I called the realtor and I was like, by any chance, is that place still available? And she's like, let me check. And it was. And so you have the keys? You're you're already in in there? Immediately. (laughs) By December 4th, I had moved in. We did a pop-up for the holidays, Henry and I, the other Zankoff, the other runner-up. And I'm fully moved in. It's not quite set up yet. You became super close with Henry and Melita Balmeister, who won the CFDA award last year. Um, how, like, what was that friendship like? Like, was it just through the chaos that you guys were able to find each other? Yeah, I mean, I actually met Henry the first year of launching Diotima, and it was just random. We had the same PR person at the time, and I needed a space, and he had a space he had rented, and so. That person just threw us together, and I walked in with, like, my ironing board and iron and immediately started pressing blazers, and he was like, (laughs) (laughs) who's this girl? Um, And ever since then, we became friends, and we became really close because we ended up, um, you know, this industry is really hard, Mm -hmm. and to be uh, an independent designer, both of us launched around the same time, you know, in the—well, he launched right before the pandemic, but I did the year after— it's it's very challenging to run a business, especially when you're not VC-backed or, you know, right. what have you. So we often share space together. And I remember when the applications were due for the CVFF, 
I was like, I need to text Henry to make sure he gets his application in. And my PR person at the time was like, oh, no, he already did it. Don't <laughs> worry. And I was like, okay. We'll text each other. We'll send voice notes, like, of support. Mm-hmm. We'll call each other with questions. It can be very isolating to do what we do. So to have that kind of, like, support and someone to bounce ideas off of and ask questions about what something should be or how much, like, a rental costs for a studio. Right. I mean, things like us are really great to have to have someone to support you. So when it was announced, I think I was announced first. And then um, I was super excited. And I was also like, thank God I have bills to pay. (laughs) (laughs) But then when Henry's name was announced, I started crying because I was just so happy to be there with him and, and super excited for when Melissa won. And, you know, 2023, as you mentioned, was definitely a big year for you, you know, from the LVMH Prize finalists and getting the American Emerging Designer Award from the CFDA. That was amazing and shocking. (laughs) How did you feel after that? I did not expect to win that. With LVMH Prize and with CVFF, like, they're amazing, and I'm so happy to have experienced both of them and even more so happy to have won the runner-up prize. But that was intentional, you know. Um, Those are competitions with a financial outcome if you right. if you win. Um, and so, you know, again, like, as independent brands, you know, we need to find sources of capital. So that was, like, really intentional, and we worked hard on it, and we applied and did all the things. Um, but the, the Emerging Designer of the Year, that's some, you know, you're nominated by people in the industry, by, you know, members of the CFDA. Um, so you're pair nominated. Right. And then... You're nominated with other incredible designers, and then you're voted on by your peers. And I just really wasn't expecting it. I've, I feel like I've just been around for a minute, and to feel seen, I don't know, it's it's really incredible. What made you even want to start Diotima? What was that final push of like, okay, this is what I want to do, and this is why I want to make something of my own? I mean, I've wanted to do it forever. I started my career in 2006 in Milan and that was like an idea I had from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. I actually did an internship at Vogue back in 2002 and I actually somehow got this internship through a family friend Mm -hmm. who was really incredible and he had said to me when I was like 18 like you can't go out into the world and like have all of these experiences and forget where you came from and you can't take it all away you need to bring some of it back and that always stuck with me and so I always kind of had this sense of responsibility that whatever I was doing I needed to bring some of it back to Jamaica and in the wake of of George Floyd you know I started questioning these systems of culture and and who was allowed to make fashion and who wasn't and why I had limited myself before. You know, there was this idea that if someone had done something related to the Caribbean at all in fashion, then that space had been taken up. Um, And I think, like, in that moment, I really realized that in itself is a form of self-oppression, self-limitation, and that's exactly what we need is multiplicity of voices and points of view. What is the meaning behind Diotima? Diotima... She is a figure in Plato Symposium, and um, it's like a dinner party, basically. Yeah. And everyone is um, discussing the meaning of love, and she's the only female figure in the symposium, and she explains love to Socrates. And where I really draw from her, this idea of her, is in Eros and Civilization by Herbert Marcuse. And he talks about this idea that you can take love and desire and sublimate it in a non-repressive way to create culture. 
Beautiful. And I think that that's so incredibly powerful. And I think that there is this potential for collaboration and for building together. You know, it's it's against this idea of the genius. You know, it's more of a collaborative idea. And I think that that's super liberating and and really what I want for the brand, you know, working with artisans in Jamaica initially, in other parts of the world, hopefully throughout the Caribbean. One of the things that I love that you do and that you are known for is these handmade designs of the mix of the crochet and the tailoring and your unique spins on, you know, your traditional Jamaican garments and doilies and mesh marinas. And I would love to know when describing your clothing Mm. to our listeners, how would you describe your clothing as the clothes that you make? I think it's very sensual. Mm -hmm. There is an intimacy to the craft of it, of the making of it that you can experience in the wearing of it. Whenever I put on your clothes, I definitely feel that the element of being a woman, Mm, the element of feeling sexy, but not outwardly sexy in a way that it's sexiness for myself. Yeah. And which is the best form of it. Yeah, I think there's nuance. It's important to feel the sexiness, but like, you know, a lot of the time sexiness came from someone else's idea of what Mm -hmm. sexy was for women, Mm -hmm. you know, and like, Is that really how we feel sexy? There's a balance to showing and not showing. And I think that a lot of, at least for me, when I wear the clothes, like parts of the sexiness is how it feels on my body. You know, like the crystal mesh, I know you've worn it, but Mm -hmm. like it's it's actually like it's totally naked. (laughs) Um, Very naked, but we love But you're also covered up. Yeah. Um, It molds to your body, but it's a little bit heavy. And when you move, you can feel it moving with you and you hear sounds and you feel it. And I think that like that experience, that sensory moment, that like creating of intimacy in like wearing clothes is like, I don't know, a very empowering idea of sexiness for me. How did you learn how to crochet? Was that something you learned I, as a kid? No, or? I didn't. So I don't know. I'm sure you might have a similar experience because mm-hmm. you're also a Caribbean gal. Yes. <laughs> Shout out Haiti. Exactly. <laughs> but it's kind of everywhere in a way. So mm-hmm. it's like in domestic scenes, like your grandma would have like a crochet doily or like, you know, crochet mm-hmm. toilet paper cover, you know, bizarre things like that in the home was everywhere. And um, then you'd like, you know, go to a party and you get like a crochet beach cover up. And so it was always there, but it's like a tradition that's passed down grandmother to daughter, you know, mother to daughter. And well, I actually just discovered from my cousin who'd been sending me pictures of my um paternal grandmother's crochet. I had no idea that she crocheted, actually. Oh, wow. Um, And she's like, I keep seeing this stuff you're making. It reminds me of grandma, which is funny because she had a closer, she was closer to her. But I never learned it from my mother or her mother, um, who I never met. So it just wasn't a part of my upbringing. But I, I realized in like going back home, which I do all the time, that it was something that I was a little bit fixated with. I studied art initially, and I did a lot of printmaking. And I looked back at my work from college and there's like layers of crochet layered over like um, notes from my mother's recipe book and photos and it's like this idea of layering and like this like I don't know 
tradition of women passing on Mm -hmm. knowledge was always something I was interested in. And then when I started working in fashion, initially I was only doing embellishments and embroidery. That was my focus. And then when I moved to New York, at some point I started working with crochet and I was just so obsessed with the fact that it could never be replicated by machine. It's something that can only be made by hand. And so that was so interesting to me that I started taking classes like on the weekends at like 8 a.m. because that was the only time I had (laughs) to learn how to crochet. And when I wanted to work on the brand, and that was obviously something I was going to focus on, it had always been something in my mind for the last 20 years. I really wanted to delve into the specific stitches stitches that I'd seen growing up that you can still find in craft markets. Um, And I didn't want to do the beach cover-ups because I didn't want to be so obvious, and I wanted to try and, like— Do something different, incorporate in another way. Yes, I pulled from these, like, traditional stitches that would be found in the home and and then played with— how it was used. I mean, the first thing I made was a was a harness, because a I, harness. I just, yeah, <laughs> and then I started adding it onto garments, and then because of limitations, started mixing it, you know, with wovens because I didn't have enough women right. to keep up with like how much I had to make. Yeah, and you know, so you work closely with the artisans in Jamaica. Like, why was that important for you? Why Why did you opt to do that within your your brand in Jamaica? What happens a lot is there's opportunity in Jamaica if you are in kind of traditional industries, medicine, law, Mm -hmm. to do something outside of that. There's not a lot of opportunity. There's so many talented Jamaicans that, you know, go into all of these other non-traditional fields, let's call them. Um, So they all leave. And with all of that goes all of this energy and excitement and potential for growth for the country. Um, And I just felt that I could not contribute to that, you know, especially if I was going to do something for myself. But then it was also like, we just have this understanding of value in fashion that's very Eurocentric. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's never been my experience working in fashion. Even when I worked in Italy, um, I did all of the embellishment, like I worked on embellishments and embroidery for Costume Nationale, and it was always made in India. And but, you know, all you hear about is made in Italy and Mm -hmm. which is very important. And and there is a history to it. And there is like reason for that kind of respect. But it's not just there. Mm -hmm. You know, it exists other places. Um, And so I, I really I think it's important to try and expand this narrative of of luxury and and what luxury actually is and where value is placed. The run-through will be back in a moment. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. 
and why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Maybe a chef-grade range made you want to hone your cooking skills or a high-tech tennis racket made you want to work on your backhand. I recently bought a new pair of running shoes and that made me love hitting the pavement again. Well, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. I would love to know, like, a little bit more into their time growing up in Jamaica. Like, what did you see people wearing? Like, what oh what stood out to you? So good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was pretty lucky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it was in the late '80s, and it went all through the '90s. Like, that's what really resonates with me because that's when I grew up. You know, and there was obviously the mesh merino, mm-hmm. and men would wear it with like a suit and like a pair of pants and some clerks and like they would have a belt and the belt would be unbuckled and like that's you know that's their suit like that kind of energy was so fun for me yeah. and like I grew up you know in, when my in my teens like Lady Saw was like a hero to me Lady Saw who's now Marion Hall um, but huge you know like for me a feminist icon within right. the within the dance hall music scene and like um, Carlene, the dance hall queen, who I'm mm-hmm. obsessed with and I always know. I call her my auntie because I put her in one of the lookbooks and became friends with her. Oh, my God, I love. <laughs> but, like, those <laughs> women in particular, like, came into this man's world of dance hall and owned their sexiness and their mm-hmm. image. And they were very, I mean, they were very sexy. And, you know, the things they're sing, they sing about, I can't really talk right. about. But, like, <laughs> it was so empowering to see them operate in this man's world. And then, like, the most interesting part for me is, like, all of this would happen at nighttime. And then the next morning, people are in their, like, perfect little secretary skirts and, like, little, you know, button-up, right. like, tunic top and, like, very proper. And then they go to church on Sunday. And I always was, like what is going on here? How do these things exist? You're like, you were just wearing, and now you're... A batty rider. <laughs> like, literally. But I always found that, like, 
that kind of tension between the very overt and very sexy and then, like, the super reserved, so interesting. Um, and it still exists, but, like, you know, maybe the things are different, the items are different. You are always in DOTMI. You're always in your designs, and I always see you in it, and you wear it so well. Oh, I want to know, though, when yeah. you're not wearing DOTMI, what are you wearing? Do you wear anything else? Is there a brand you're absolutely obsessed mm, with? No? Mm, there are. There are a few. There's a handful. Okay, so first of all, usually, okay, my bag is Bottego. Chic. I used to go on, like, before I started the brand, when I would shop, it would always be on Vestiaire. Mm-hmm. And I would always get, um, like, that Prada collection with the metal in the cotton. Oh, I have, yes. like, four pieces from that collection. It's one of my favorites. I would get some Miu Miu now if I could. Yeah. I would get some Martine Rose pieces. I'm a huge fan. Yeah. I actually bought for my fiancé, like, a few Martine Rose sweatshirts for her. And, you know, I'm I'm Haitian, and I know how Caribbean culture can be. And I, I would love to know, like, how have you been able to navigate or how have you just navigated your sexuality and relationship um, in Jamaica? Yeah. That, okay, so it's all very new to me, mm-hmm. to be quite honest, because I was— For most of my life, I thought I was straight. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I found out, like, only a few years ago, which I'm so happy. I'm like, this is great. Um, You got Sade. Yeah. Yeah, but I kind of, I mean, okay, I say this, but then I have to also recognize my privilege in in the situation. So, you know, I am, there's a lot of colorism in Jamaica, and I am a light-skinned brown girl in Jamaica. So already I have some privilege. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm a woman. And my partner is a woman, and who's she's beautiful, and it doesn't hurt that, like, you know, we're women. Rather, if if I was a man with a man, if I was a trans woman, Mm -hmm. it would be much harder. If I was very dark skinned, it would be much harder. So, like, I do have to recognize my privilege in this, and I can't just say, "Oh, it was fine, it was easy." Like, there are lots of challenges, but at the same time, maybe because I was not that young when I realized. I just didn't care. Mm-hmm. And, like, I never let anything stop me from holding my partner's hand or kissing them in public or going on dates or dancing with them. Like, I never let any of that stop me. And, of course, every once in a while someone will say something, but, like... It's like, what What else can you do? Exactly. And you know what? Moving Jamaica's on. changing. Mm-hmm. Thanks to people like my fiancé who've done so much work in advocacy and, like, creating spaces and, like, just public education Mm -hmm. about um, rights for the community. Like, it's a much different place now than it was even five years ago, even 10 years ago. But yeah, I mean, telling my family, my family is like very open and they're amazing. So they were super supportive. How do you feel that you have been able to stand out? Honestly, I think it's like, I just don't really look at other people's work. Mm -hmm. I think that's like, unless I'm doing it like as a, to shop. <laughs> I don't do mood boards at all. Wow. Yeah, I just, I'm not, I'm not into it because I just don't want it to seep into the work without me realizing, right. you know. And, you know, and I was talking to Ashlyn Camps about this the other day. I think we're probably two, maybe the only two Caribbean brands with people that grew up in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that all of our voices are super important, but I think that for her and I, our voices are very unique in that it's not a removed perspective of the Caribbean. Right. It's a lived experience. And I think, like, there's space for all of it. And I think that thanks to people that came before me, there was space for me. But I think that that is what makes your team different. 
Well, with that, I would just have to say thank you so much for joining us <laughs> on the run through. That was beautiful. Thank that you, was Rachel. Super fun. Thank you, Naomi. That's it for today's episode. See you soon. The Run Through with Vogue is a production of Condé Nast. The show is produced by Susie Lechtenberg, Chelsea Daniel, and Alex John Burns, with engineering from Jake Loomis, Gabe Kiroga, and James Yost. It is mixed by Mike Kutchman. Chris Bannon is Condé Nast's head of global audio. I'm Molly Sims. And I'm Emma Shagormley. We are two best friends with one common obsession. Beauty. And by that, we mean everything that makes you look and feel beautiful. We tried it all and we've got your back. We'll be calling on all our favorite health experts, industry insiders, and friends to answer all your beauty questions. Consider us your beauty 411. And sometimes your 911. From how to fix brassy hair to the pros and cons of laser facials and always with a cocktail in hand. Always. So be prepared to be obsessed. Check out Lipstick on the Rim wherever you get your podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok, and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts.